Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. And today, making his return to the podcast, it is Graham Nichols. Graham, thank you so much for joining me. How's it going today? No worries. Thanks for having me on, Alex. Uh, everything's going well. Can't, uh, can't complain. How about yourself? How'd you enjoy your trade deadline? Yeah, good. It was, uh, I was just saying on T-Off here, it's super busy, just league-wide. Like, this is, honestly, I mean, obviously today was a dud just with how many uh, trades took place earlier. But, like, this week was by far one of the busiest I can remember, you know, like I know people like to say that all the time, but like this was one of the biggest trade deadlines I can remember. And just like even the size of names moved. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're talking about like Timo Meyer, Patrick Kane, um, Tarasenko before that, obviously, like there's been a lot of uh, big name and big ticket items that being moved around. And the, I, I think one of the interesting dynamics of the deadline in the last few weeks is just how many teams are willing to be like third party um uh resources for teams to use just to make the money work i think that's one of the wrinkles of the the cap system and teams are starting to take advantage of it more than they have in the past yeah it started i feel like a year or two ago where we saw one or two cases of it where it was like you know a team would jump in uh, i think it was san jose or minnesota last year i think it was san jose that third party to deal for toronto and that was kind of like the idea was always there but you never really seen it aggressively and yeah this year it felt like just because of how close everyone was to the cap Every third or fourth trade had a third, anyone with big money, that's for sure, had a third party kind of brokering it. And even deals like uh, Columbus, where they get Jonathan Quick and then flip them immediately at half retained to Vegas. Like it's uh, definitely something that's more common. And I think that's a good sign for the sport. I mean, you know, you can make an argument is it a good sign they need to do it? And that's a, a cap argument, I think, or a hard cap argument more than anything else. But the fact that teams are at least becoming more aware that this is an option for them and thinking outside the box when it comes to this kind of stuff, like that's at least very encouraging. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have Arizona taking on um, Jacob Voracek's contract, right? Just so they can manipulate the cap floor and uh, spend less real money on on salary and then use the LTIR to hit the cap floor. It's just, yeah, there, there's a lot of good being done, but I think there's still there's still some wrinkles on the other end of the spectrum as well, where you just, you just shake your head and you kind of feel for the fans there who are paying hard-earned money to to deal with that kind of stuff so for sure and even that like i feel horrible for the fans but to me that's a league issue not a team issue you know like i almost i don't blame the coyotes for i mean again this is maybe i you can blame them for this but they're playing in a 4500 seat arena with the logic behind that is we're not going to have very much income for the next three years let's cut our cost as much as we possibly can that's smart business in terms of the the vacuum right there but there's a larger picture of the, that shouldn't be the case ever that they need to do that right no but i and to your point like that's 100 correct i just think in the spirit of the cba like the cap floor is is there for for a mm-hmm. purpose yeah. of you have to feel the competitive roster as competitive a roster as you you financially have to or are obligated to and in their case i don't think they're doing that they're not living up to that end of the bargain and they haven't been for for quite some time but to your point yeah that is a franchise that has lost money and, and from the business side of things it probably makes sense for them to do that yeah exactly i mean like as we're you know like it's not like ottawa has been obviously we haven't seen a team do it nearly this aggressively but there was a number of years or a couple of years there during the rebuild where ottawa definitely cut their costs as well and how many times did we see Ottawa's biggest uh, target priority was guys who already had their signing bonus paid with uh, lesser salaries. But uh, hey, that uh, that definitely is not the case anymore. Not right now, because Ottawa is uh, uh, definitely shifted the other way, definitely off the ice and on the ice. Uh, I was just kind of uh, 
looking up the last time I recorded because I was trying to remember what game was actually played by that point. And it was the the last game they had played, they lost the Bruins 3-1. So since recording, they have lost to the Hurricanes 4-0, beat the Canadians 5-2, put two smackdowns on the Red Wings at 6-2 and 6-1, and had a thriller against the Rangers at 5-3. So they've won four in a row as we're recording this. I don't even know where to get to begin. Let's begin off the ice. So we'll, we'll get to the trades first. Um, because I think they kind of tie in, you know, the on ice play definitely dictated some of the trades, but Nikita Zaitsev goes uh, literally the day I dropped my last podcast, which is about two weeks ago. Now, February 22nd, they send Zaitsev to the Blackhawks for a second round pick and a fourth round pick at nothing back in return, pure cap dump. At that point, I think it was pretty obvious. People realized that they were probably in on another defenseman, whether or not it was going to be Chitrin. Let's talk about the Zaitsev deal just quickly, because I want to get your take. Did you think that felt about right a little too much? Like, did, were you surprised at how little it costed? What did you think it was going to take to give up? And what would you have given up in Dorian's shoes? I, so the only thing, like, I have no problem getting rid of Zaitsev. I think he was just, he was, he was a sunk cost. Um, he, he, you know, they never, he was a guy that they never should have acquired in the first place. I think anyone who did a due diligence in, in analytics, um, what, four years ago? Four years ago, I uh, could have told you that. It was arguably one of the worst contracts in the league at the time um, based off what his uh, return of in, return of investment would be, um, just based off the fact he's a defensive defenseman who can't really defend that well because of his limitations playing the puck. And um, they got out from underneath it, so they're out from underneath the remainder of this year and next season as well. So there's something to be said about clearing uh, that 4.5 million hit off the books for next year. Um, so that was great in that sense. Um, giving, getting rid of a, a second round pick obviously isn't ideal, especially in a good draft. Um, but at the same time, you got to give something up to get something. And in, in this case, uh, they're clearing the deck of salary so they could add a guy like Jake Shikran, right? So in, in, in a vacuum, I, I, I didn't like the deal at the time for the simple point that. You know, if you're just looking at it on paper at the time, you're thinking, okay, well, what what is the back pocket deal? You have no idea who's coming in or what Ottawa's acquiring. So, if you're just looking at it as a, well, Ottawa traded a second round pick and a uh, another draft pick as well, you're thinking, why didn't they just wait until the off season when the signing bonus is paid off? New ownership is coming in. Like an extra two million dollar uh, signing bonus means nothing to those people coming in, anyways. It's just a sign of a check. So. It would have been easier to facilitate that, facilitate a trade then, uh, especially when you're seeing teams move the kind of salary and dumping the kind of contracts that they are right now. Uh, I, I think it would have been much easier to move that kind of deal and the return or sort of the draft pick uh, opportunity cost would have been as significant as it was. But in saying that, all what made the move now so that they could have acquired Jake Shaker. And so there's something to be said about that. And, um, you know, they, they acquired him for a conditional first, a conditional second, and then a second round pick in 2026. So they paid another, you know, it's it's a relatively high opportunity cost in the sense that they gave up three really valuable assets. Uh, and we don't really know how valuable they'll be until Ottawa's placement in the standings is solidified uh, this year and in, and in future years. But um, they got a lot of cost certainty with a very good defenseman, uh, a really good defenseman who have, should hopefully um, – pan out and play really well in the top four but uh as i alluded to in an article it's not without risk right like he is a left shot guy who who has experience playing his offside uh jake sanderson has experience playing his offside but he's never done at the professional level yet uh and if you're going to try and fit this guy in in the top four well now you've got three left shot defensemen who are in the top four so someone's going to have to go to the other side and how well is that going to work and we we don't know you hope it's going to go well and based off you know from every indication 
and you know you watch videos of Shikarin and you watch the highlights and everything else he like he looks more than capable as, as legitimate top four guy and, and he's young like he's only 24 he turns 25 on March 31st at the end of this month and he, he's he brings a lot of intangibles that teams like he's he can move the puck he's physical he can defend well and he defends with a stick well um he's kind of like the modern defensive defenseman in the nhl but he's also got the puck moving offensive side to him as well and at 4.6 million like that's a great great cap hit and there's a lot of cost certainty and and it gives the team a lot of flexibility in the next two years when they have to sign a couple guys like alex debrinkat being one of them like there's a couple big ticket guys shane pinto is he going to get a bridge deal like what's his contract going to be like after this year um so there's going to be some escalating salaries on the team and, and you know just having that guy locked in for the next two years at 4.6 even though his real dollar value uh, goes up significantly at 4.6 it's just a it's a great fit for the cap right now and you know hopefully they have a ch- really good chance to resign him after that because the team should be good hopefully yeah exactly um yeah i think you hit it perfectly with the zeitsev deal if we were to record this podcast a week ago i would have been not Super thrilled in terms of the cost they give up just because exactly like you, as soon as it happened, I, I went, well, the asking price for Chitron is insane. I don't want to see them give up two firsts, which two firsts at a prospect, which is still what we were hearing even within a week ago before, you know, the deadline kind of seemed to change that. And I was like, and I just don't know who else they would go and acquire. So I was like, I was under the mind too of like, hmm, you know, this season, you know, they're, they're going to fight for playoffs kind of you know but it's it's not not a lost cause like they're playing meaningful hockey and that's kind of what you wanted right so i would have rather seen them pay that signing bonus off and i bet you it doesn't even cost more than a fourth in the summer to get rid of one year of nikita zaitsev but then now using and this is a deal where i think you can logically use hindsight in that you know because they because this deal was made they went and got jacob chitron and even if you want to just say you add the second in this Zaitsev deal to the Chitrin trade. That is still a very okay return from me for Jacob Chitrin. The fact that they did this without a giving up any of their top prospects, like Ridley Gregg was a name that, you know, by all accounts, uh, Arizona was really, they really wanted and, and Ottawa stuck to their guns. They said, no, we're not doing that. So we're going to back out. Um, You know, like the fact that they managed to get that. And obviously, yeah, they, they uh, they're going to be lacking some picks over the next couple of years. That's for sure. They, between the Debrinka trade and this trade, you know, they, they definitely have moved some picks out. They don't pick till the fourth round this year, but I'm okay with that because again, as you said, I, like you have a guy who, this is not a 30 year old. This is not a guy that you need to immediately pay right now. This is a guy who fits this course window. He's 25 at the end of this year. He's got two more years at a very good contract. And then of course you can go from there and see where you are in two years, where he fits on the team, where everyone else looks like. I really love this deal. Um, my favorite part about the deal is definitely that they added a stipulation. If they make the conference finals this season, uh, the pick gets upgraded um, because I don't think anyone in Ottawa is going to care if they lose a 2024 first, if it means they were in the conference final somehow this season. But um, no, I, I really like the trade, um, you know, and again, like if moving Zaitsev kind of seemed like what it needed to be to get off of that, um, you know, to be able to get the cap space so you can pick him up this year and, and have him next year. I, I'm totally okay with that. And um, yeah, let's get into Chitron as well. So obviously he played his first game last night as we're recording we're recording on Friday against the Rangers. And I thought he looked good. I, I thought he looked definitely a little 
out of place at times. You could tell he was still finding his way with a new team. But um, a couple of things that stood out for me was one, how aggressive he loves to be on the blue line in all three zones, really holding the blue line, making teams dump the puck or not dump the puck in, but make a decision heading into our blue line. And then in his own end as well, just trying to cut off passes, get in the corner, be aggressive. I didn't really, I mean, I, I will fully admit to not watching any Arizona Coyote games that aren't against the Ottawa Senators over the past couple of years, but that is the immediate thing that stuck out to me is just how aggressive he is in all three zones and also how big of a body he is. Like, you know, you talk about tough hockey or whatever and all the time and, and you know, first guy that comes to mind is probably like Travis Hamanick, Eric Branson, those kind of types that just, let's be honest, they can't move the puck very efficiently. This is not the case for Chichen. He's a big guy who can use his body, but he can move the puck very well for his size as well. And and those are the first couple of things that obviously it's a very small sample so far, but right away just flashed to me. Yeah, you can see flashes. I thought he well, he hadn't played three weeks, right? I think is is the last time he played for Arizona was February tenth. So it's it's been quite a while. And you know, I, like I, I was just. I kind of assumed that he'd be rusty coming out of the gate. And I think that's the case. I think he, especially on like the Tarasenko goal, you see like a communication breakdown uh, with Holden where they give Tarasenko the middle of the ice. Uh, Cause both guys are, are, are kind of fanned out to the, to the wall, they're protecting the wall and, and he breaks in all alone and then buries it. Um, you know, there, there were some, there were some minor just mental mistakes. I didn't as, see as much as the physical mistakes with him. It was just more mental, like more getting back up to game speed, making those like split second judgments and, and being efficient with those judgments. And uh, yeah, just to echo your point. I think like he's, he's a big guy who moves his feet well, and he's aggressive, not only on the defensive side of the puck, but on the offensive side as well. And, you know, I was watching some of the trade center coverage this morning on uh, TSN. And one of the things that uh, Megan Shaka from um, uh, God, I can't even think of her company off the top of my head. The clear site. Is it staff plays? Is it staff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds right. Um, I can't, yeah, off the top of my head, I couldn't remember the name there, but uh she was pointing out, or is yeah, it wasn't sports law, it's staff plays for sure. Um, she she mentioned that like Shikran, when she was referencing the Ottawa trade, she's like, he is one of the most efficient uh zone entry guys in the league. I think he was like top 10. And as a defenseman, I think that's like super, super, super rare. But for him, I like I I had never seen anyone talk about that through the social media channels or reference it whatsoever. But I mean, that's all proprietary data. So the chances of ever seeing that come out, unless it's directly from her are very, very small, but um, yeah, it was just surprising to hear. Uh, Cause again, like you, I, I don't watch a ton of Arizona thing, games when Ottawa's not playing them. I have better things to be doing. Um, Most <laughs> people probably should, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you look good. Like I, I thought he moved his feet. Well, he did look rusty. Uh, he was making some passes. He was trying to play like, Usually when you see guys play their first games, they're kind of just playing a little conservatively, like almost like too conservatively. They're afraid to make mistakes. They're just trying to fit in and, and not look at a place and stuff. But I think like he was, he was trying to assert himself on the ice. Right. And yep. I think that's one of the things that bodes well. And I think, you know, if there's an opportunity for that uh, to continue going forward, I think it's going to benefit this group. And I think as soon as he gets off the sec, the third pairing with Nick Holden and, and starts playing with someone a little bit more uh, talented um, as well. Not that I'm have anything against Nick Holden. I think he's had a decent season, but um as soon as he has a chance to play with one of the more talented guys on the team i think uh the top four it just it bolsters the group so much and uh, i wrote this in the in that piece yesterday uh you really have to go back i think you're you're going back to like 2005 2006 uh for the last time Otto was top six or, or top four sorry uh was as talented um yeah oh by far like yeah well last time when like they even won. even the stanley cup team i think like 
they they get a lot of credit, but I mean, like aside from Phyllis and Volchenkov on the top pairing, like that's not even a real like they were considered the shutdown pairing at the time. But I mean, like that's not that's not a top line pair. Yeah, you know that was just that was the team that that was the one Ottawa team that got through, so they get a lot of credit for that. But like you know, you're, you're you'd have to go back to like the days of like Chara and Red and be on the yeah. team together um, to to really talk about uh, a group being that, as talented as that. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's real uh, optimistic looking forward uh, in terms of the group. I hope he fits in well. I hope the whole natural shot thing works out. And uh, you know, for for a group for a management group that has struggled to identify good defensemen over the last 15 years, uh, going back to the Brian Murray area, uh, they finally hit a home run with yep. tar- targeting the right guy. And absolutely. And, you know, not only is he the defensive defense, but he, but he can move the puck as well. He's like the modern guy who you should, he's the kind of guy that they should be targeting. And the fact that he comes into the contract that he does, is it's a sure win. Him and, and um, him and Jake Sanderson remind me a lot of the kind of idea of like Jake Sanderson to me is a defensive defenseman, but he's got all the skills that he can still co-create. He's not this lumbering dude who can only play defense and his defense is hitting people, you know, it's actual defense, which means That's, he's going to be very, good offensively. To me, it's very Scott Niedermeyer's. Like, you know, it's the, it's the active stick. It's the leaning on guys, angling guys the right way. And it's the ability to skate and to defend just off of scanning alone and controlling gaps and, and lanes. And um, he, that's, it's phenomenal what he does. He doesn't get enough credit for what he does. He doesn't get enough credit for the season that he's had playing alongside Traps Hamannick because he's carried him all year. And it's just one of the things that we don't talk about enough. Yeah. To the point where like, I think Hamannick is probably getting way too much credit on that. And Hamannick's been better than I expected, but I, the bar was so, 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 so low that like, it would have been hard to be worse than what I expected, to be honest. So I I will preface that. But uh, um, the the one play last night, act, and I, I definitely consider myself more of a a macro level person when it comes to this podcast. In terms of you know, obviously the macro level results are are a little more important when it comes to the process. But just on a a play that really stuck out to me last night was you know though you talk about angling bodies off and using his body and Chitron caught up to Patrick Kane who you know obviously there's been questions about Kane's game but he, he looked pretty good I thought last night as well making his debut and has looked good over the past week it was Chicago really selling that he should be on the move but um, he Patrick Kane had a step on him and heading into the offensive zone and it was the last man back and Chitron just completely caught up to him and just angled him right to the outside gave him nothing to shoot at nothing to pass to and it's like it was just one little play but I was like that is just something we haven't seen consistently from Ottawa centers defenders especially on the right side if that's where he does get moved to and it's so it's just stuff like that where I'm really encouraged and also plays like that to me are more important than chipping the puck off the boards which is why I'm not personally as worried as some about the handedness thing I think it'll be a bit of a learning adjustment and there will definitely be times where you go "Ooh, see a right-handed defenseman might have made that play a little better but I think his natural skill and size is going to allow him to do stuff that you know we don't see normal right-handed defensemen do as well which is going to counteract you know the couple times maybe where you see oh crap like that that would have been an easier clear if he was right-handed yeah, and I think his ability to carry the puck is going to help him a lot in that in that sense as well, right? Like, it's not going to be a handedness thing where he's just looking up the wall uh, for that quick outlet. Like, he can skate the puck out of trouble and evade defenders. And and that's something that Ottawa's right side just doesn't have, and it hasn't had for quite some time. And, uh, you know, playing with competent guys on the left side, like whether, whether or not he winds up ultimately with Sanderson or Shabbat, like those are two 
exceptional puck movers who can skate the puck out of trouble as well. So, I mean, if he is ever under uh, duress and he's in a bad spot defensively, like, well, all he has to do is throw it back behind the wall and reverse it and throw it back to like the left side guy and he'll be fine. And uh, it's just, it's refreshing. Cause like for the first time in a long time, you're like, okay, they, they've got four solid guys in the back end where you, none of those guys, those guys are all locked up for the foreseeable future. Um, and so it's just a matter of making it work. And, and right now the biggest pressure, like, you know, you're, you're looking at Ottawa's roster and um, I, I, they're really top heavy up front right now because of injury. I think the Josh Norris injury has really hampered their depth because um, the top two lines have carried them all season and they're simply not getting enough offense out of that bottom six. Uh, although against the Rangers, uh, Washington Broussard scored two goals. Uh, that was awesome, especially in the 1,000th game, right? Like, that yeah. was sweet. And uh, Austin Watson chipped in the other night as well. Uh, so they they gotten a few goals from the fourth line. But just as a whole, like the third and fourth lines just simply haven't generated uh, simply anywhere near enough uh, all season. So uh, it, it's going to be – I thought the organization for sure today would target some more depth guys up front just to give uh, – the top six a little bit of a breather, um, especially at the center position. But although they acquired Patrick Brown, he like he doesn't offer a lot of offense either. He's almost kind of like another Dylan Gambrell where he wins faceoffs and uh, just plays defense. And yeah. I was going to ask about that because, yeah, I was relatively disappointed, you know, as much as you can be uh, with that move today, too. Because, yeah, if you're all in or all, all in as much as you can be to the ninth seed team in the East. But like you, you made this move and now it's clear that they want to make playoffs this year. That is the goal. Which is a fair goal, I think. You know, when you talk about that, but it, the Patrick Brown move—it's just like he just kind of brings another guy of what they already have, as you mentioned, and, and Dylan Campbell to the point where, like, and and it's not even all their fault. Like the market's just so dried up. Like the so many trades happened this deadline. There just wasn't many guys out there. But like, I would have just much rather see them give Ridley Gregg another chance or something like that up at the three or four C center spot instead of, you know, like. I, I just I, I don't really see what Patrick Brown brings to this team that they didn't already have, other than the fact that he's just kind of another body in case someone gets hurt. Yeah, and this kind of I think this kind of goes back to the point about dumping Zaitsev's contract. Now I think it, bottom line I think it just comes down to this is what the budget is, and you're going to have to operate by it because like you look at their budget right now I think their their cap hits like seventy seven million seventy eight million so um, could they have retained Zaitsev and. You know, made made the deal work where Shikran comes in with Zaitsev still in the fold. Like I don't know, uh, but I'm assuming not because they obviously cleared the decks for him. So maybe that's what hampered their uh, their ability to go into the market and go get a guy like Nick Bonino. Um, you see some of the prices that were being paid for for quality defensive centers who could contribute a little bit offensively, like Lars Eller's uh, fetched a second round pick, which I thought was really surprising. Good defensive player, but like his offense is kind of washed up at this point of his career. Uh, so that kind of seemed like a bit of a stretch, but. Uh, I thought Benino going for like two fifths and a seventh was kind of seeing like that's that's the price that uh, Pittsburgh paid. I thought that was a lost opportunity. Um, you know, there's a couple of like you mentioned, I think a lot of like the market was washed before before this day even started. Like there's just you, you're looking at cat friendly at the free agent depending UFAs are available. And it's like aside from like Pius Suter from Detroit, he was just, the only name that I was like, and I don't think I don't know if Detroit would have flipped them. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Right. And they're competing for a playoff spot. And, you know, even like JVR to a certain extent, like could they've used JVR on the third line instead of, you know, like move Julian, like slide Julian Gloche down to the fourth line and scratch Watson. Like the thing I think that we don't give enough credit to is probably like they're trying not to disrupt 
what's going on in the dressing room right now. I think everybody in that room really likes Austin Watson. I think they all really like Dylan Gambrell. So, you know, if you bring in certain players and it disrupts that chemistry a little bit because all of a sudden guys are out of their packing order or just not playing anymore, uh, it could negatively impact things. Um, but ultimately, I, like to your point about really Greg, like he's probably the best option and he probably might've been the best deadline option out there for Ottawa. Instead of just saying, Hey, we're going to trade assets of this. Why don't we just call up really Greg? Um, he might be, he might ultimately wind up being the guy that becomes their third line center heading into the playoffs or, or going down the stretch, depending on how he does in Belleville for the next week or two. So um, that's, that's definitely a storyline to keep an eye on. Right. Yeah, so for we'll, sure. We'll see what happens there. Cause out of all the guys, he probably has the most high, uh, high upside. And uh, you know, if this team's playing meaningful games down the stretch, that's probably a guy uh, with his pedigree and experience and international experience. Like he's played in big games before. So that's an opportunity that they probably want to give to him. Cause I don't think Belleville's uh, really hunting for a playoff spot down in the HL right now. No, I think they've been struggling a lot. And the thing too, about Greg, he's so versatile where it's like, if you want, you can slide him up to your top six. If you need him there, you know, you don't want Pinto playing up on that second line or whatever. You can slide Greg up there and he, you know, he looked okay. But if you want to just keep him a little more sheltered, like he can play that uh, dump in and crash role on the fourth line as well and provide a little bit of spark there. You don't like it, to me, he's not a guy I'm worried about them ruining the development of or anything like that. He can play wherever, how many ever minutes on this team. Obviously you can't play him like four minutes or whatever, but like if he's playing nine minutes plus some penalty kill on, on the fourth liner or power play two on the, on the fourth line or whatever, like it's not the end of the world in terms of if you're in the stretch and he might be the best guy to give you those minutes, put him in those minutes. I, I, I really don't care. So um, yeah, I, I'll be interested to see, I, as you said, like they're just, they're, the prices were a little aggressive for some of the depth guys, like they seem to be at the deadline. So I definitely don't mind them not going in big on a, a Benino, like Benino, I would have been okay with, but yeah, like even like the, the price Tampa paid for like Tanner Janot and so like, that's just absolutely insane. So I, I'm glad they didn't do that or anything like that. And I also understand too. Yeah. Like Austin Watson, they seem to love that dude. I think. They have to move away from him this summer. I, I just, I can't see him being a, a part of the everyday lineup anymore. Like even now it's getting to the point where he had that one great game, two goals or whatever. Awesome. Makes one of the biggest boneheaded plays I've ever seen in terms of just absolutely crushing Tyler Mott against the boards where that was clean. Not, that I, was clean. Uh, I'm shocked. Department he didn't player, get safety. Department yeah. player safety cleared him. Be- it's fine. Because he was, it wasn't charging. They said, I, I'm, I'm shocked you didn't get more, but I'm, I mean, I'm not. The department kind of sucks, but, um, but you, like, I just, I, I'm fine with Watson staying on the team this year. Um, but I, I just don't think he can be an everyday contributor next year. You know, maybe if you want to argue, he should be a 13th, 14th forward. I'll put my hands up and be like, whatever, but they definitely, the depth is still something they need to address this summer internally or externally. But the good news about that is that's the easiest thing to address in the NHL. You know, that's that is been, you say that, though, but it's historically it's been one of the very hardest things for this organization to do. Absolutely. Been, whether it, whether it's just identifying and targeting the wrong guys or just, you know, like it, I still they've feel... leaned heavily. They've leaned heavily. Sorry to cut you off, but like they've leaned heavily on relying on the experiences of their coaching staff with yes. former players. And mm-hmm. they've kind of catered to that. And they've, like whether it was the Guy Boucher era or or uh, the DJ Smith era, like they're, they brought in a bunch of depth guys that the coaching staff is familiar with and they just, none of them have panned out. Yeah. And And, it's it's been one of the shortcomings of this management group and it's just, it's so frustrating, but they still keep doing it. And you're just like, guys, just stop. It's been like seven years in a row too. And like, that's why I don't want to say it's going to get fixed this summer, but I would much rather, at least if the options are 
what bad fourth liner do your coach, your previous coach want on the team? Or what guy is going to go play two right wing for you that absolutely sucks? I'm at least happy it's the depth that they have to choose on. Now, that doesn't make it less important. They still need to hit on some guys this year. But, you know, the, the good news is, again, the heavy lifting theoretically should be done for the foreseeable. I mean, debrinkett has got to get a new contract. But uh, in terms of up front and on the blue line, you have your core, you know, who's going to be there. Now it's time to surround the core with some, you know, it's going to have to be cheaper guys, not just because of the budget, but you know, the salary, like the salaries of the guys you've paid that it's going to make it a little harder. Um, but again, I'm, I'm okay with that. I want to see what they do. And I hope, yeah, I really hope they've learned from their past mistakes. I am. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, and I've said that a couple of times this year and I've seen it, which is good. Like even as he's mentioned, identifying a guy like Chichern is a lot better of a target than good Branson or Ron Hainsey or Oduya or down the list, down the list we go. Right. So um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see a, what this stretch of hockey looks like. Cause I think that'll dictate it as well, where um, you know, they've obviously been red hot. Like this has been a lot of fun over the past week or two to watch them play and fight themselves back into this playoff spot. And it, it's, we can get this in a sec, but it's really cool to actually like sit down and know you're watching a, a somewhat meaningful hockey game. Like I haven't had that feeling in four or five years now, like to the point oh, where it's been, yeah, since 2017, for sure. Li- like it's literally like, like you're almost going back six years. Like that's yeah. how, that's how long it's been. It's, 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 it's surreal how fast time flies. Exactly. And even like, even like we were talking about the blue line earlier, it's like, well, the blue line, the top four hasn't been good in almost 20 years. Like where did, where did the time go? Yeah. Like that's a long period of time. Yeah, to it's, not have four good defensemen, especially it's, it's when you, crazy. you had such a high building block for almost all of that time as well, you know, like. Oh, it's wild. Just wild. Yeah. But it's always but, been, it's just top heavy rosters. It, it's been, it's it's always been like that. It's just top heavy rosters and they'll play a run and gun high event hockey style and uh, they'll, they'll trade chances with the opposition, see how it goes. And some seasons worked out and other seasons it hasn't. I think one of the biggest shortcomings of the, of the teams of the last 20 years has been the blue line. And you know, it, it's been solidified. And I think to your point, we're talking about guys filling in spots and who what who's gonna fill in this depth and, and kind of supplement the core that they've that they've built. And I think like that's one of the disappointing things that, that there's a lot of guys in Belleville right now who are like once highly regarded prospects who just simply haven't panned out the way the organization was hoping for, right? Like Lassie Thompson, Jacob Bernard Docker, like their development is is really uh really, really slowed. And, you know, they've had looks here and they haven't shown that well. They've, they've looked good in flashes. And then you look at their underlying numbers and they're they're pretty, pretty terrible, you know, unfortunately. And, um, you know, is Igor Sokolov going to get a look uh, in the next little bit? If it's not this year towards the end of the season, like when is when is that guy ever going to get a look? And if if those guys, if you're not comfortable uh, putting those guys in the lineup soon, like maybe they have more value to the organization as trade chips this summer. Like I just... You know, if those guys aren't going to play in your top six or if Jacob Bernard Docker and Lassie Thompson aren't going to play in your top four, well, that only leaves one spot for one of those guys to claim uh, down the road anyways because you got the top four locked up. So maybe those are the guys who wind up getting moved in packages this offseason to address some of those depth roles that, that we're talking about. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good idea in terms of because there will be a fit for I mean, how many guys are how many teams are always looking for right handed defensemen, right? So it's it's a good commodity to have, even if it's 
you know, not the value you wanted it to be, obviously, of a top four defenseman that you're trading, even, you know, a, a high prospect who is a, a low first, high end second, you know, that will get value for a number of years, unless they've just really shown that they they absolutely suck. But uh, and that's not the case, you know, obviously, yeah, like JBD and Lassie Thompson have been disappointing, but they've also shown upside as well. So that there will definitely be options if Ottawa can't fit them in internally that, you know, they can definitely look externally with it. And I'm going to be curious to see how this team performs down the stretch here, because, um, uh, you know, that that's really going to dictate things. I think in terms of if they, you know, make playoffs this year, I, you know, management will be getting a very big pat on the back for themselves for sure. But uh, I'll be interested to see how, you know, their standings affect what they do this summer, how many of their depth guys they bring back because, you know, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer, but they are five points out of a playoff spot right now. Still, like they're they're they've done great to battle back, but they're in a four or five way tie for ninth in the East, and then they're still four points back. I guess it is of of a playoff spot. So it's like if you end up missing the playoffs by seven or eight points, or even five or six, but you finish I don't know, let's say eleventh in the East, tenth in the East, something like that. So you miss by a spot or two, and you're out by five or three or four games. You know. I wonder what the takeaway from management will be there in terms of, is it, we just didn't get our players soon enough. We were hurt. Is it, Oh, we need to look differently at the depth scoring. And I hope it is, you know, obviously a little bit of everything because injuries are going to play a factor and the Norris injury has been brutal this year, but injuries are going to happen every year. So you gotta, you gotta take at least a little account of that. And I kind of hope they they do look at it and go, as he said, the top six, if they're not scoring, games aren't getting won. You know, this power play and the top six has been, and the top six is the power play. So that shouldn't be shocking. That is what has absolutely driven, driven this team forward. So I, I really do hope that, you know, regardless of the outcome of the season, and obviously it's gotten to the point now where I want them to win every single game, but regardless of the outcome, I, I do hope they take a big look and go, we need a different type of guy in our bottom six than we have currently. Yeah, or even just a different philosophy on how those roles are used, right? Like, I think, like, for me personally, like, the perfect case example for me is, like, I, I think Mark Kasselik can be a really effective player. Like, when the puck is on that guy's stick in the offensive zone down low, like, good luck getting it off of him. Just the way he uses his body and shields it and everything else. Like, there's a lot of value uh, for that guy just based off the way he skates and carries the puck at times. Like, he's it's very hard to get the puck off his stick. But, like, when that line with him and Parker Kelly and Austin Watson are constantly dumping the puck in, the retrieval rate just was not good. And then they spend the rest of their ship chasing pucks. And like, you're not going to get a lot of offense or chances um, playing that style of hockey for long periods of time. And that's, that's been one of the shortcomings of the season. I think like to your point, like special teams in the top six have carried this team all year and the five on five numbers are still pretty mediocre. Like I, like I was looking at their numbers uh, from January 1st on even February 1st on, uh, they're still sub 50 and all their shot and goal metrics. Um, the, the real goal metrics are better than their expected goal metrics. Uh, so they've outperformed those slightly, but like their five on five play has to be addressed. I, I don't think if, if you want to build a sustainable winner in the NHL, you have to be able to play hockey, quality hockey, at five on five. And if you're not doing that consistently, you're going to have a hard time uh, being a perennial contender. And that's something that's got to get addressed. And whether you attribute that to coaching personnel or anything else, um, that has to get fixed. I think having Shikran will help in that regard because now you have two quality pairs that you can roll out there. At least on paper, you have two quality pairs that you should be able to roll out there on a nightly basis and and hopefully dominate 
the possession. But um, just looking back at this past week from from the Montreal game on, Ottawa's crushing a territorial. They're out-chancing and out-shooting and out-scoring the opposition. So hopefully that's a trend that continues through the rest of the season. And if it does, it, it gives them a legitimate shot. And I think, you know, like the Islanders have four games, Ottawa has four games in hand on the Islanders for that second wildcard seed. Obviously, Buffalo's in the same position as Ottawa, same number of points. Uh, they're, they're right there. But uh, I think Ottawa is in a position where they can kind of control their fate a little bit. If they keep playing well and, and winning their games that they have to win, um, they're going to put themselves in a good spot and they have a chance to catch the Islanders. And I think that's the team to catch. I think Pittsburgh's won four games in a row uh, as well. And they kind of got lucky in that regard and they made a bunch of ads at the deadline. So I'm kind of intrigued actually Like Pittsburgh's one of those weird teams. And they kind of remind me like the old Ottawa senators. And I mentioned this on Twitter today. It's like John Muckler, when he would go into the deadline, he just, he would just add guys like just nonsensically just add guys. Like one of my favorite stories was like the Tyler Arneson pickup at the deadline and they acquired him thinking that they got Kyle Calder, but it was actually Tyler Arneson. <laughs> they like, they, they just had no idea they had, they could, they, I don't know. It was just one of those old anecdotes I had heard. And like, you know, this is before like lots of video scouting and everything else at the time. So it's like, oh shit. But yeah, we got this Arneson kid. He's supposed to be fantastic. And they think in their heads it's Kyle Calder, but it's actually Tyler Arneson. And then <laughs> he played terribly. And then he was just like, he was just a black ace for like the rest of the playoffs. It's, it's so funny. But um, yeah, it's just Pittsburgh. Just lots of moves, lots of pieces that they added, none of which are really quality ads. It's just a matter of like, the you know, you're throwing draft picks, lots of draft pick currency going out the other way and not a lot of value coming in. So I'm kind of interested to see what that does. Does that disrupt the chemistry? Do they add a bunch of crappy players that are going to make them worse? Or is this going to be like some weird, some weird project that just ultimately winds up working out for them because you have Sidney Crosby on the team? I don't know. Yeah, well, and the Sidney Crosby is kind of why you can't really bet against them completely falling off the, the cliff right now, right? But yeah, the, the most interesting thing I found about Pittsburgh, and I kind of commented it on my other podcast tonight, was the biggest issue for them is their speed and their age in terms of like their whole team is like 30 plus and not that fast. And they went and got three more guys in their 30s who aren't exactly known for just being speed burners or anything like that. It's like you're they're really leaning into this like veteran break you down kind of hockey and it might work. But yeah, like I, I think both those wildcard spots definitely um, the Islanders. I, I just I don't think the Islanders are ever particularly that great of a team. Um, you know, obviously they added Horvat, which helped. And even the Engvall pickup I, I, I like in terms of their uh their deadline, but like, I just don't, th- I think both those teams are, are definitely going to be teams that, uh, you know, go back and forth, but the Islanders spot is the one they should be shooting for. And Ottawa's got a bit of a mixed schedule. It's really, it's pretty light for the next four or five games. They get the blue jackets, uh, and the Blackhawks, which are the two worst teams in the NHL. Uh, then you go Kraken and Canucks, you know, the Kraken have had a good year, but again, the Canucks are set are not the team that, that's very good. The flames then they're struggling. But then you go Oilers, Avalanche, Maple Leafs, Penguins, Bruins, Lightning, Devils, Panthers. Uh, you have the Flyers in there, but then you go Maple Leafs again. You have the Jackets in there, but then you go Hurricanes, Panthers, Lightning, Hurricanes, Sabres to end it off. So out of the last 20-something-ish games, like 14 or 15 of them are going to be against guys either you're completely fighting with right in that playoff race or are already in the playoffs. They're definitely going to have a tough schedule down the stretch, but I think that's great for this team. I, I think, you know, this is a team that should be willing to prove that this debt, like this deadline, it was worth going all in for them. Obviously not just for this year, but um, uh, I, I'm going to be curious to see, you know, they, they need to bank some points in the next couple games here, but oh, I'm sure I'm not worried about them playing like a Pittsburgh, you know, it's obviously not an automatic win or anything like that, but it's yeah. even going into Tampa, 
unlike the past couple of years where it's like, yeah, they're probably going to lose this game 4-2 and get outshot 40-15. to 15. I don't feel like that anymore. So I'm excited to see, even just as a litmus test, where they are, how they stack up against some of those teams. Yeah, and it's a philosophical thing, right? When you're entering those games too. Like if you know you're playing Boston, if you're playing Tampa or Toronto, like those are those are measuring sticks games where it's like, okay, we've got to raise our game to that next level. Like there's no complacency. It's always like, all right, guys, we got to crank it up and go from there. So uh, like, again, like the, the biggest problem with those teams is just going to be matching up depth-wise. Um, you know, if... if if Ottawa comes out ahead uh, with their bottom six, like if they if the bottom six doesn't give up a lot of uh, goals and chances, then I, I think they're going to do okay because I think Ottawa's top six is that good. And I think just watching them against the Rangers the other night, like that's a that's a pretty skilled deep team. Uh, no, they're not like the hardest team to play against because they're not overly physical or in your face or anything like that. But like they work hard and they have skill. And Ottawa's top six held their own; like they looked fantastic against them. So. Um, if that can continue against some of these other good clubs, I think they got a chance. Uh, one of the biggest things, like one of the wild cards is like just Matt Sogard. Like, can he continue to play at the high level that he's demonstrated so far? Because if he, if he can keep putting up like games where he's stopping 92, 93% of the box, like you're going to have a chance to win every night. And, um, uh, they just haven't received that kind of quality of goaltending in a while. Um, and it's it's fun. It's good. Like I wasn't banking on like him and, and Mandalizi coming up and, and stealing the show just based off their numbers in Belleville this year. But maybe like having a more structured, uh, predictable style of game up here as opposed to the AHL where it's more scrambly, lots of uh, bad bounces and, and 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 fast breaks coming the other way. Like maybe this is maybe it's just better suited to read and play up at the NHL level, which is like an anecdote and story that we've heard from other goalies who've come up and had success here in the past too, right? So. Yeah, I, I mean, I if I I got to find the study again, but if, if I remember correctly, there's not much correlation, definitely not as much as you think of correlation between AHL save percentage and, and NHL save percentage. And it's because of, you know, just like what you said, where, um, yeah, like there's just and like Belleville's not a very good team this year. So even, you know, Ottawa's not the most defensively structured, but coming up and playing against a team like that versus a bad AHL team is still going to be a wide gap. And uh, yeah, it's actually funny you bring him up too, because I was just about to ask you as our next question, how would you want to see a Cam Talbot, Mad Sogard tandem split, um, you know, going down the air? Do you think, I think they're probably just naturally going to lead on Cam Talbot as the starter, but I'd be quite okay seeing them do a 50-50 split and kind of just roll with the hot hand how they did with Forsberg and Talbot for most of this year. Yeah, and I think that's the, probably the best way to play it, right? Ride your hot hand. But, I mean, if, if you're worried about uh, sheltering Sogard, uh, especially with the strength of schedule that you alluded to earlier, like you can shelter him against who you believe to be the weaker opponents, right? just so you don't break the kid's confidence, especially especially if the games become more important and meaningful and Ottawa has a chance to like win. Uh, if he's not, if if he's playing really well, let him go. Like, that's the biggest thing. I think you, you just ride your hot hand. But I mean, if, if you're splitting games and, you know, the differences between the two goaltenders is negligible, I think maybe you lean on the veteran just to, uh, just to absorb the possibility of those bad, those bad chances. Cause you don't want to, you don't want to break the kid's confidence when the games really matter either. So um but I mean, if if he's the hot hand, you ride him. You ride him as long as you can, kind of like Andrew Hammond from uh, yesteryear. But uh, it's it's gonna be fun to watch. I'm just happy that they're playing meaningful hockey. It's just it's it's fun tuning in. And it, I think the weird part of it this season has been there's been so many cycles where it's like Ottawa would look good for like two or three games. You're like, finally, all right, here we go. This is the consistency. This is what we need. And then they just lay like three eggs in a row where it's just like they can't complete more than three passes. It's, and it's just the efforts, like they're working hard, but they're just not working smart. There's so many defensive lapses. And it seems like they've really started to curb some of those lapses. Like they're not as glaring as they have been in the past. 
and and that's one of the things that's been going for them well but it's just it's so great and it's great to see the fan base get engaged and just passionate about it and i mean if they sneak in it's just the barn's going to be rocking down the stretch and the end of the postseason it's just it's fun it's fun to have meaningful hockey back in ottawa yeah you took the words right out of my mouth i was just about to bring that up where it's like i genuinely can't remember the last time i was more than three weeks into a senator season and went I'm excited to sit down and watch this game tonight. And like last night I was on the couch, like screaming when they scored and like, Oh, like just yelling and like just into the game. And I just have not been that because at any point at this point in the year for the past five years, it's been the opposite where it's like, no, let in as many goals as you can. I want to see this team lose or whatever. Right. Like give us the higher draft pick where that is finally not the case. And it's so nice. And it's, it's even nicer that it's not the case. And they're in like eight last or whatever. Cause even last year, like it was cool seeing them win down the stretch, but it was like, yeah, well, they're not really going anywhere this year. This is exactly, it's been such a, a windy road to get here. But if you told basically, I mean, obviously there's people on both ends of the spectrum in terms of how aggressive they were with predictions. But if you told most Sens fans at the beginning of the year, come March 3rd, you will be uh, tied for ninth in the Eastern standing and about four or five points out of a five points out of a playoff spot. Would you take that? Yeah, With games in hand hand as well. Yeah. Yeah. So like, let's, let's say that averaged out to one point out, two points out of a playoff spot. Would you take that? I, I think you would, would. I think everybody yes. would be like, okay, that's that's a reasonable expectation of where this team Ex- is. Exactly. And so it, you know, it doesn't feel like it because we've taken such a strange way to get there. But it's kind of, you know, if they play down the stretch, and I know I hope they make it, that would be so cool. But you know, let's be honest, they're, they're battling with five other teams to try and make that that one wild card spot. You know, it, the chance they're still at about twenty percent chance, I think, based on uh, most models that you look at. So the odds are they don't make it, but if they finish three points out of a playoff spot, ninth or 10th in the East, I would say that is a a successful season. And based on, you know, what I thought the expectations should be coming in about where I thought they would be, you know, obviously would it be a little disappointing if they get that close and, and can't quite push over the edge to get in Sure, for sure. But like, this is such a big step up regardless if they just play meaningful games all the way down the stretch into March and into April, because even last year, you know, they, they they went on a bit of a run at the end of the year, but they were out of it by, we knew they were out of the playoffs by like December. Oh, you easy. Know? Yeah. And that's, so, that's the problem, right? It's like, well, if, if they miss the postseason this year, it'll be like the same refrain that we've heard the last like few years. It's been like, oh, those bad starts, those bad starts got us again. And, and it's, that's, that's, that's the frustrating part, right? It's a, it's a long season and there's been so many ups and downs and you can curse the bad start. You can curse not getting, not addressing the defensive position. Uh, in the offseason when you acquire Alex DeBrincat, like, you know, like you make that all in move for him. You wish they could have got that defenseman here a little bit sooner, but he's here now. Right. So you got to make the most of it. And I think there's a great opportunity here ahead of them. Uh, you watch the way the closure is just playing. You watch the way the Brady's been playing. Like those two are just the heartbeat of this team right now. And they're dragging, they're dragging everybody's game up. Everybody it, to me, like watching the team for the last week, it looks like everybody's elevated their game. Like there's just more energy. There's more sense of urgency. Uh, it's it's just fun it just looks like it just looks like um what's the word i'm looking for it's just it's just everybody's kind of feeding off of it they're feeding off that energy and they're kind of building that momentum and it's just even when they're down right like they're down against detroit early they were down against montreal it's just like that even against the rangers right like the rangers had the uh two one and then three two leads 
and it's just it's it's there you you it's, see it like they're they're not it's pressureless right now like yeah, they just look just, like they're having fun but like you watch some of the games early in the season it's like a bad goal goes in and they're, they're just deflated like the mm-hmm. just the you know you watch you just watch them on the bench they're defeated like they're defeated right away a bad goal gets them again and and you don't see that there's a little bit of swagger to them where they know they're not out of games and it's just it's fun. I know it's only four games. It's really small sample size to get excited about, but like the underlying stats are really good. The energy looks really good. Um, the goaltending is playing really well. The defense has been shored up. You hope Shikran gets acclimated and, and starts playing at the level that uh, he's capable of. And if if all those things continue to work for Ottawa, I, I like the chances, man. It, when when your special teams units are clicking like they are, and uh, you're you're getting contributions from everybody it makes hockey a lot of fun and it's just you know you you watch the talking heads on tsn they're all saying hey watch out for ottawa we like the vibes you know so everybody's everybody seems like they're on board with it and it's just it's great to see it's been a long time man but it's it's good to see like teams like ottawa buffalo and even like toronto like harken back to like my heyday as like a senators fan when like the league was really exciting and fun and everything was competitive it's like those three teams, when they were all like relatively good, so much fun, so much fun to watch. And it's just like those natural rivalries where you just like hate the opposition. Like that's, that's like, those are my favorite memories growing up as a Sens fan. And if, if we get to that level, it's like, can you imagine if like Ottawa and Toronto meet in the fucking playoffs this year or like, or Buffalo and Toronto meet? Twitter or like might Ottawa shut down. Buffalo. Oh, it'd be unreal. It'd be yeah. Unreal. It'd be, it'd be absolutely bonkers. But, uh, We'll see what happens. Even the back-to-back against Detroit, that was just so chippy this week. And obviously, it was, it's more fun because Ottawa came out on the right side of that both ways in a row. But, like, I just haven't seen that passion between two teams in a little while now. And it's just kind of nice to see and, and get it back. And uh, how, the, Sorry to cut in, but, like, how, how nice – like, if each divisional team plays each other five times a season, I would love to see, like, two back-to-back games. Yeah. Like, Dude. oh, it's just – it becomes so much more heated and, and just – memorable right like it's just that's one way to crank the intensity on some of these rivalries that the league wants to like get out and then have people tune in for exactly and like if you're worried about home and home because of travel and stuff do it in the same building you know the nba's been trying that this year too where you play two games in three days against the same team or whatever and and like um you know obviously you don't want to do it too much because you don't want to saturate the market as much but yeah as you said like Toronto's in town on a, a Friday and a Saturday night or whatever, or, you know, the Toronto and Montreal are playing back to back and home and home or whatever on a, a Saturday, Sunday or something like that. Like that, that would be so cool. And I, I really do hope. Yeah. Like I, the schedule would have to change. I think you'd have to go back to where you only play Western, the other conference once, which I would be totally fine with to, to be completely honest. Like I'd like to see it where you play your division six times. So what's that? Six times seven. That's 40. Two half, off the top of my head? Pretty much half your schedule, yeah. Yeah, half your schedule. And then you play your the other eight teams in your conference, I don't know, let's say three times. That puts you at 24. So there's 66, I think, right there. And that leaves 16 games, if I'm not mistaken, for the other 16 teams in the conference. My math might be off on that, but there's something along that lines, right? Where you go basically six in the division, three in the conference for the other teams, and one on the Western. I don't need to see the Arizona Coyotes twice. It's cool to see Connor McDavid twice, but I don't need to see the San Jose Sharks twice or anything like that. Like, I'm okay with that. And then when you do see those players that are from the Western Conference, it just feels a little more special, too. Yeah, it might be easier to sell, too, right? 
yeah. might be easier to sell down the road. Uh, yeah, if you see them every second year, that's not a big deal either, right? Exactly, right? Like, if, if you really need to see them that badly, you can go out of your way to watch them. So, yeah. But, all right. I think that was good. We hit on a lot of good topics there. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Plug some stuff. Where can people find you and all your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Graham Nichols. You can find my stuff on Substack, gnichols.substack.com. Alex, thank you so much for having me on. Really enjoy talking to you. I can do it all night. It's uh, it's easy, stress-free, and it's it helps that the team's winning games too, right? Like we're both happy and excited. Nobody's down on the team or anything. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Good times. Thank you. Yeah, it's a lot better. It's just been a lot more fun when the team actually is winning. And, you know, it's not all just, oh, what, what what's the draft lottery going to look like? You know, so it's fun to have some some more talking points. And I'll definitely have to have you on the, again down the line, as I'm sure this team will keep giving us uh, no endless stuff to talk about. Appreciate it. No, that'd be fun. As mentioned, huge thanks to Graham for joining me for what I believe is episode 58 of this podcast. Hard to believe. Yeah, 58. Uh, we're already getting close to 60, 70, kind of kind of hard to believe, to be honest. And um, uh, But at the same time, you know, this has been, I think, the third season I've been doing this podcast. Maybe only second. Uh, I, the shortened season was the first one, so the third season. Um, and, and one of the things I've been trying to do is, is stay more consistent down the road. And this is where we really dropped off last year. I think, I don't even know if I did a trade deadline review podcast, and then I didn't do one until almost the summer. I just, I don't know, I... The team was so bad, as I kind of mentioned with Graham tonight, the team has been so bad the past couple of years, it's been hard to stay motivated. I know that won't be the case uh, uh, with this podcast down the road, so I, I definitely will keep on posting You know, over. My my goal is to hit every two weeks. I feel like that's a good t- time frame, especially now that there won't be trades or anything like that. Uh, a pretty good time frame to at least give some more to digest uh, in Sense Land, but if I feel that it's busy enough, I will definitely move to the, the once a week as well. So, um, thank you everyone so much for listening. Thanks to Graham for joining the podcast. Uh, uh, absolute blast, always having him on. I think that might be his third time that he's joined, and it's been a great discussion every time. So, I hope you all enjoyed it as well. And again, if there's anyone you want to hear, please let me know. Um, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sense and Stuff as my personal account, and at Last Word. On Sends is the podcast account. You can also find all my work at lastwordonhockey.com. As well as wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can find my other podcast, the MNM Hockey Podcast. Um, It is on Apple, um, Spotify, everywhere you can find it. So, uh, yeah, go give that a check out as well. So, thank you everyone so much for listening. Uh, I look forward to seeing what the Sends do down the road here. And let's hope for some more exciting Sends playoff or Sends hockey that leads to playoff hockey. That would be absolutely amazing in such an up and down year. But uh, regardless, I'm looking forward to talking to everyone in a week or two.